We have been in a series that I've called Same Power, speaking of the scriptural truth that we have available to us, the power of resurrection, that we can experience the power of resurrection in our lives. We've been centered on that question uh, for several weeks now. How do we know Christ and the power of his resurrection and and the scripture uh, that we've been focused on? Uh, is uh, Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. The two go together. You're not going to know the power of his resurrection without knowing him. And you're not going to know him without knowing the power of his resurrection. So that's why we're digging in in this way. Uh, Paul begins really uh, several verses back with what I've called a radical life reassessment. He took a look at everything in his life, everything that he had accomplished, everything that that had been important to him, and he just weighed it all in the balance of, well, now how does that compare to the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus? And and he counted it all as loss. We, We talked about counting gain, all of the gains, all of the accomplishments and achievements as loss, but also learning how to count loss as gain, that actually in the, in the moments that we lose something, we have available to us the opportunity to gain in Christ in a magnificent way. Last week, we talked about uh, the pursuit of the upward call, uh, and uh, Paul brought to us that message about forgetting what is behind. How many of you have had to figure that out? you got to forget what's behind, and, and whether, whether it's a, a devastating failure or a a hardship, or it's a great achievement. We have to forget the things that are behind because the only thing that matters is what is ahead of us. So forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, the power of pressing on toward the goal, pressing on toward the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And that's what we're talking about. I'm calling it walking it out And uh, we're going to talk about uh, the pattern, walking after a pattern that has been set before us. So I invite you to uh, join with me in hearing and focusing on Philippians chapter 3, beginning verse 17. Let's give our full attention to the scripture. Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Now let's stand and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word. 
We thank you for the word that spoke creation into existence eons ago. And we thank you for word that was made flesh to dwell among us. And we thank you for the word that has been spoken and written and passed to us. And that even this day, we pass to the next generation. God, we thank you for word. We pray that your word would speak to us by the presence and the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Paul begins this section uh, with a kind of an odd phrase. He says, now imitate me. It's just kind of a weird phrase. I've listened to a lot of messages on this passage of Scripture, and every single one, the the preacher will begin or the pastor will begin by saying, I would never say that. (laughs) I would never say imitate me because I I don't feel so confident that that you could look to me. I I don't feel so perfect in my life or the, the way that I've lived my life. So we need to dig in and understand a little bit of what he means. Brothers, of course, and sisters, join in imitating me. It almost sounds prideful. But we have to realize that certainly Paul was not pointing to the achievements of the flesh. He's already said that. He's he's already said that all of those things uh, I've set aside, all of those things I've weighed, and and they're not important. The word in Greek is an interesting one, sum mimetes. Um, I'll make you try to say that, sum mimetes. And it's actually a combination of two Greek words. And that's really, really important. Because it has to do with joining and then also imitating. He's not saying, now you, imitate me. He's saying, join in an imitation that I am a part of. Uh, It's a word that would invite us to be part of a companionship of imitators following after Christ. And that's really what the meaning of that is. Come into the companionship of Christ imitators. We often talk about Christ being a Christ follower. A Christ follower is important, but a Christ imitator is also super important. Are we becoming more and more like Christ? Are are we following the pattern that he has set before you? And that's really what this is about. Paul is saying, I'm setting a pattern for you to follow. And it's not a pattern of me. Earlier in this chapter, he said, not that I've already obtained all this. I'm not super successful in this myself. But you need to imitate that I am continuing to pursue a walk with Christ. That I'm continuing to pursue a closeness, a pattern of drawing near to Christ. That's what he's talking about. He's certainly not saying, well, look at me and see how religious I am. Not, Not in any sense. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, he wrote, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And you can hear that two ways. As I am of Christ and as I am an imitator of Christ, then you can imitate me. And I'll join him and say, you can imitate me. (laughs) I said, I'm perfect. I make mistakes all the time, all the time. And I seek God and and I seek life in God. I seek forgiveness and and repentance. But but you can imitate me in pursuing Christ because that's my life. And that's what Paul was saying. Earlier in Philippians chapter 2, he said, Have this mind, the mind of Christ in you. Paul was also not talking about an imitation of the historical events of his life. He wasn't saying, Now, if if you're going to draw near to Christ, you're going to have to go to jail like I went to jail. 
I mean, I hope not. That could be the case. He's not saying, well, you need to persecute people and then be dramatically converted. He's not saying you need to move around from city to city and town to town and preach. He's not saying those sorts of patterns, be a tent maker on the side. He's not saying any of that. So what was Paul talking about? I would describe it this way, in this phrase, a pattern of relentlessly pursuing Christ. We sang about it a lot this morning. Uh, It's all about you. It's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. Worship, study, service, all of it. It's all about you. And the Apostle Paul was setting a pattern that was exemplary in pursuing Christ and the power of his resurrection. The truth is that the more that you know him, the more you'll hunger for him. It's, it's a journey you will never conclude until we are with him, until we are glorified with him. The more that you are filled with him, the more you're going to desire of him. And the more resurrection power you experience, the more of his resurrection power you will seek. So Paul is saying, I think I could rephrase it, look to me if you want to see a life continually pointed at knowing him and walking like him. Him. He says, look at the examples that are around you. Take a look at those that, that you set your eye on or that you admire. He says, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. He uses the word typos or, or tupos, and it's translated example, but it's also, it, it's used to mean a stamp or a die that is struck, even a scar that is burned, <laughs> Uh, or a shape or a style. It's where we get the word typology. Uh, It's not an exact copy, but it's a pattern and a model. We're to look to the pattern and model of Christ that we see in the people who are around us. We're to keep our eyes on those who carry the mark of Jesus. The challenge is, and I'm sure it probably has occurred to you already, is that we have people around us all the time who are not godly. And and in fact, that's the way it's supposed to be. We are meant to be among those who are not godly. We are meant to be in a world that is not godly. Because how will the light come into the world except that we are there? Jesus said, you are the light of the world. That's our theme, much of our theme this summer at camp. And, And so we bring light. He said, you're the salt of the earth. You're to be the flavoring and the preservative and the antiseptic that is scattered into the earth. And so it's very important. Jesus said you're to be in the world, but what? Not of the world. And so it's really important that we be there, but we need to not be imitators of the world that is around us. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul wrote to to the Corinthians, and I love the way that he phrases this, we are the aroma of Christ, the fragrance of Christ, to God, which means being offered to God, among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. I love that, that phrasing because we look and we sometimes say, well, that person's saved and that person's not. You have no clue. Do you? Because people we would think are, are perishing for sure are being saved. It's a, it's a process. And some of those that we think are, are for sure saved, they may not be. We don't know the answers to that. 
the Lord does. And here we are among those who are being saved, are in the process of being saved, and those who are perishing. And to one we are a fragrance of death, and to the other we are a fragrance of life. And how can we be sufficient to that? He says, for we are not like so many peddlers of God's word. Boy, that's powerful. But as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. I love the way the NLT says this. Our lives are to be a a Christ-like fragrance. That's what we are to be. But we are not to be imitators of the world. And that's what Paul was talking about specifically in here. We are not called to take on the fragrance of the world. And we've gotten things twisted in that manner. We're to keep our eyes on those who are pursuing Christ. We need people around us all the time who are pursuing Christ. Because only then are we empowered and and, and are are given what we need for the fragrance for what we need when we are in the world among those who are being saved. And so we, we need to be around those. We need to keep our eyes in that direction. Truth is that we will not know Christ more and more any other way. And we will not know life any other way if our eyes are on death. And this is what happens so many of the time, so much of the time. Many walk as enemies of the cross, he says in verse 18. Who are these enemies of the cross? Now, there's a couple of historic uh, movements that he's speaking to. He's already been talking about. One is called the Judaizers, those who are seeking to put believers under uh, law, under uh, legalism once again. If you're going to, oh, well, we believe in this Jesus thing, but you need to follow the law. We believe in this Jesus thing, but you need to be kosher. (laughs) We, we believe in this Jesus thing, but you need to follow all the things of Judaism first, in, including circumcision. And he had some of his strongest words about this. He said, look out for the dogs, he calls them. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision, the marking of God, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. There was also another movement that was sort of the opposite. They, they, we call them the antinomians or the anti-law or anti-restraint movement. They were part of Gnosticism, if you've studied any of that. And, the, and they were seeking to throw off any restraint. Because I'm in Jesus, because I'm, I'm in the grace of God, I, I can do anything that I please. I can just pursue any pleasure. I can enter into any sort of sordid thing that I want because of grace. That's a lie. That's a lie from the enemy. I mean, Paul said it really plainly in his letter to the Romans. He said, are we to sin that grace may abound? We're supposed to lift up grace by sinning? No. He says, by no means. No. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And yet we see this sort of thing today. Let me show you my grace by how much I can be like the world. Let me show you how worldly I can be so that you'll find Jesus in me. And that just doesn't make any sense at all. Paul was saying we need to have Christ-pursuing examples around us. So who are these examples that draw your attention? Who are the people that are around you? 
And are they, in fact, possibly enemies of the cross of Christ? Do they deny the power of the cross? You know, if I said, who, who are your idols, who are your heroes, who are your examples that you look to? Uh, we might look to lift up the name of an entrepreneur who, who was very successful and creative, or we might look to, to someone who was very creative in the arts or very talented, or someone who in sports has achieved a great deal, or someone who in military leadership uh, had great victories in battle or something like that. But at the heart of it, and, and those can be amazing, wonderful people, but at the heart of it, we need to look to people who are pursuing knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection. Paul described the enemies of the cross in some specific ways. Now, he was talking about false teachers, uh, but he talks about those who live in a manner that denies the power to redeem and renew and restore. Uh, and he's, he gives us some qualities, several specific qualities. Their end is destruction. The, those who are enemies of the cross, ultimately, he starts at the end. Ultimately, they are headed for ruination. And we know that we receive eternal life as a gift of God by grace through faith. So don't be fooled by any other message. The second is, he says, their God is their belly. <laughs> That's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? Now, they, they might have been talking about my, my washboard. Uh, uh, maybe not, maybe not. Okay. But uh, the, the word is interesting. In Greek, it's koilia. Say that with me, koilia. And, and say, yeah, let's say it real strong, koilia. It means a cavity that is empty. Now, it can refer to the abdomen when your tummy is empty, or it can refer to the heart when your heart is empty, or your belly, or even the womb. But essentially, I mean, literally, he's saying their God is their emptiness. That's what they are worshiping and trying to fill is the emptiness in their lives with all sorts of different things. Now, it could speak to their appetites. We would call it the God-shaped hole, perhaps. We, we've described that. And, and it could be the appetites for food and alcohol, drugs, sex, money, possessions, all of status, all of those sorts of things. The third quality he, he lists is that their glory is in their shame. And, uh, you know, we don't have to look around very much to realize that we live in an age that glorifies things that are shameful. And the word that's used here is aiskune, aiskune. It, mean, it can mean dishonesty, it, that glorifies dishonesty or glorifies shame or glorifies disgrace. Now, now don't misunderstand here. God never shames us. Did you know that? I, I've looked all through the Bible, and, and the word shame is mentioned in a number of places, but it's always in a situation where someone has taken shame upon themselves. The first time the word shame is mentioned is in Genesis chapter 2. And it says they were in the garden and they didn't have any clothes on and there was no shame. We were not created to have shame. And yet it was after the fall. You know, the, the, the devil is the one who points with shame. And we should remember that because any time that someone says shame on you, you're speaking the devil's language. That's the devil's discourse. I was thinking about it. I grew up in a home uh, where there was lots of things that weren't right, but we never heard that phrase, shame on you. 
And, and there, I, I hear that from time to time. That's not never our place to point with shame at another person. Shame appears 128 times in the Bible, but virtually every time it's a self-description. The enemy whispers it in our ear. But there are some things and some behaviors that are disgraceful, and they are celebrated even in our day. I saw not too long ago a church, they say called themselves a church, that was celebrating, celebrating the joy of a woman who had taken the life of her unborn baby. I know that that's a difficult and painful issue. But to celebrate this in a place called church is baffling to me. Paul says that their mind is set on earthly things. And we know from Scripture that that is not, not where we're supposed to set our minds. First John chapter 2 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, now Jesus loved the world so much he gave himself for it. He's talking about the people. But if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Instead, we're to live as an example. We're to live after the stamp, the shape of Jesus that we see. Paul gives us a picture of that, of that, what that pattern looks like. He says, number one, we need to recognize our citizenship is in heaven. If you know Jesus and you love Jesus, did you know you have dual citizenship? You, you have a passport for whatever nation. I, I, you know, I'm very pleased and proud that I have a, a United States passport because every once in a while when I travel, it might get me out of trouble. Never has have I had to have it yet, but I'm glad for that. Are you? That you have citizenship, yes, and I believe it's very important. But you, did you know you have this other citizenship in heaven? It's so important. Jesus said your name is written in heaven. In the citizenship in heaven, Jesus said that you will eat and drink at the table of the Lord, that, that that's our ultimate destiny. And we're to look to the citizens who are around us, our fe fellow citizens, uh, as our example. The second thing that he says is, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So much confusion these days that... If we get the right person in office, that'll be our Savior. If we get the right movement in politics, that'll be our Savior. If we are part of the, the right uh, wealth, we'll, we'll be, that will be our Savior. None of those things are our Savior. None of them. We await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's so very important that we understand that and grasp that. Our Savior is not the winds of the culture that are going on. The third thing that Paul says is that we await the power of resurrection. He says, he will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. I don't know if, you, if you're like me. I mean, I exercise and try to take care, but I, I look in the, in the mirror every morning. I say, well, the glory's not here yet. <laughs> but it's coming. <laughs> it's a promise of Scripture. But here's the thing, we need to understand that, that we are awaiting the power of resurrection and we experience that power at different points in time as we, as we move through this existence. And we experience his power, his power to subject all things to himself. It's very powerful in verse 21. The power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Don't ever underestimate the power of his resurrection. We're tempted to do that sometimes. We're tempted to say, well, I prayed and prayed and prayed for this, and so I guess there is no power. 
you know, God is sovereign and he knows his judgments are beyond tracing out and he knows what he's doing. How many of you know that, that he knows what he's doing? He's a lot better at being God than I am. (laughs) And sometimes I look around and I say, well, God, why aren't you changing some of these things that are so difficult? And frankly, it's above my pay grade. It really is. He knows exactly what he's doing in our nation, in our world, in our family. So don't underestimate. The big question of, of this section of Scripture is this. What are your eyes on? What what is the pattern? What is the example? What are you following after? Because Scripture tells us three things. Number one, you're to follow. We're to set our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Set your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. A number one. Secondly, the life of apostles that we read about. We need to have our, our, our minds and our hearts in the Word of God so that we understand. Why was Peter... Peter was a complex guy. Why was Paul this way? He made mistakes, but then he changed things. And we find that all through Scripture. The Scripture doesn't describe a whole bunch of perfect people at all. Praise God. I wouldn't know what to do with that. But then finally, the lives of those who pursue a knowledge of Jesus and the power of his resurrection. We need people around us. This is why small groups are so powerful and important. This is why Sunday school classes are so powerful and important. This is why our youth ministry and our children's ministries are so important. Is to have people around us who are pursuing the knowledge of Jesus and the power of his resurrection. Now let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you have set before us the example of Jesus. And God, I thank you that you have set before us the example of one like the Apostle Paul, who says, frankly, I I haven't obtained all this, but I, I put the past behind and I pursue that for which Christ took hold of me. And Lord, may we pursue that same pattern in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Now we're going to receive the Lord's Supper and I invite you to... uh, If you're at home, uh, to find your, your elements and prepare your elements. If you need one of the communion packets, raise your hand. Communion is a celebration of believers. It's for believers who are remembering what he has done for us. We give thanks. betrayed he took the bread and when he had given thanks he broke it 
said, this is my body given for you. Take, eat, do this in remembrance of me. took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Father God, we thank you that you have given us points of contact, points of remembrance, connecting us with the truth and the grace, the mercy, and the great sacrifice that you have made on our behalf. Father, we thank you. We pray that your peace might